Welcome to Canvas Church. You are listening to our weekly celebration service message. Thank you for tuning in. Well, today we're jumping in new series uh, entitled The Bible. Um, and I know that you're like, oh, you're, you're, you're taking off after the, 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 the premiere of the Bible series that starts tonight on the History Channel. Five to seven for the next five weeks, two hours every Sunday night. And you're correct, I am doing that. And um, I'm completely fine with it. If you haven't heard about it yet, History Channel, five to seven, um, it's going to be awesome. If you haven't seen the previews, you can just YouTube or whatever. Um, not while I'm preaching, though. Um, but you can do that later. Check it out. And I'm excited about it. And we thought, man, let's just talk about the Bible this month. And uh, then we're going to conclude right here on Easter Sunday with our performance, Three Crosses, uh, which is, is going to be pretty awesome as well. And so for this series, um, I simply just, just look at it this way. And so if you can just kind of come with me on this journey. For those of you that grew up in church, which, you know, I mean, some of you probably did. How many of you guys remember Sunday school as a little kid? Yeah, okay, all right. And you remember you go in there and it wasn't necessarily a big room, it was just like you and like 10 or 12 other kids and so-and-so would have the flannel graph, come on, are there any flannel graph people out? Those are the new people again. But uh, the flannel graph, man, and it was just, you know, the teacher would get up there with the little flannel graph figure things and, and do the little stories and it was, it was pretty awesome, man. Like what it took to engage me as a child is so different than today. I mean, we got to get them like Playstations and Nintendos. I mean, if you go to our children's place right now, they got this like sick digital screen and stuff and I'm like, man, what is up with that? Where's the days of the flannel graph? But what I, what I loved about those classes, what I loved about Sunday school was it was just Bible stories and that the Bible just spoke to us and that the teacher wouldn't like have seven points on how to prosper financially. Come on, are you with me? Or, you know, seven points on how you can endure hardship, you know? It was just like, here's Zacchaeus. And he was pretty short, and he climbed up in a tall tree so he could see Jesus. Right? And as a kid, you're like, that is amazing. Right? And you're like, what's, what's the moral of the story? Don't be short. No. Uh, what, what's the moral of the story? The story is this, is that sometimes, you know, you've got to climb over and, and look over some stuff in order to see Jesus. But when you do, man, he's going to invite you, and it's just going to be, you're just like, oh, this is awesome. You know? But somehow we graduate from that when we get older, right? And we want some complexity, you know? As if the Bible isn't, you know, enough to speak to us. And so now I've got to develop. And so through this series, over the next five weeks, four weeks really, as we conclude with our performance on Easter Sunday, I just want to, I just want to look at some Bible stories. And yeah, I'll share a few things with you, but I, my heart is this, is that I just want, I just want the Bible to speak to us. I just want to look at scripture and let the Bible just, just take us back to those moments when we were little and life was a little more simple. Are you with me? All right. Are you there? Okay. And if that isn't enough for you and you're like, that's great, but I want to go a little deeper, then you need to come tonight, 6 o'clock, the first Sunday. All right? The new people again. Okay. Um, you need to come tonight, 6 o'clock, first Sunday. We're having a worship experience right here, the first Sunday of every month. This is going to be our first one, and I'm excited about it. You say, what's that all about? It's all about this. We're just going to come together, and we're going to worship. And no one's going to preach, and we're just going to go after God and worship. Come on, how many of you guys thought worship was awesome this morning, right? 
Worship was great this morning. We're going to do more of that. We're just going to get into the presence of God and, and just say, God, whatever you want to do tonight, you do. And so that's tonight, 6 o'clock. And uh, there is child care provided uh, for those up to five years of age, okay? And you say, well, my kids are older. Bring them into the worship. That's, I'm bringing my kids into the worship, you know? And yes, I'll have a backup plan, like a, a Kindle or an iPad, okay? But um, come tonight. As you're turning to Genesis chapter 6, I want to read to you Matthew 24, uh, verse 37. Uh, Matthew 24, verse 37, Jesus has asked some questions uh, about the last days. Uh, what's it going to look like? What's the coming uh, of the Son of Man going to look like? And, uh, and he responds to them in verse 24. Well, if you look at it, there's a lot going on. He responds to a lot. But he makes this statement, and it's why I want to look at Genesis chapter 6 today. Uh, but he makes this statement in verse 37 of Matthew 24. And it says, For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the days of the Son of Man. Um, for Jesus to pick a story uh, out of the Old Testament and to reference that and to, for that to be symbolic of what's going to take place in his life and in the last days, how many think it's worth looking at today, right? As it's going to be, this is what's going to be in the last days. Here, you want to know? Here, go back and read about Noah. And so we're going to read a portion of that. We won't read the whole thing, but we're going to read Genesis chapter 6, and we're going to start in verse 5. Um, a lot has taken place up until Genesis chapter 5. Matter of fact, about 1,600 years have taken place. That's a lot, right? Just in a couple short chapters. And apparently, it's not the way God really wanted it to be. And, 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 we, and it paints the picture there at the beginning of chapter 6. And God is actually upset, very upset, with humanity because of its wickedness. And so Genesis chapter 6, starting in verse 5, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. So it wasn't just a little bit of wickedness, it was a lot. In that every, every, every intention of the thoughts of the heart was only evil, and if that wasn't enough, continually. Every thought that came out of the heart of man Every single one of them was evil, and it was nonstop. And the Lord was sorry that he made man on the earth. And it grieved him to his heart. That's got to be one of the most devastating scriptures right there in all the Bible. For your creator to say about his creation, I'm sorry, I made you. As it was in the days of Noah, so it'll be in the last days. It's an encouraging message, amen. Good job, pastor. <laughs> Give me seven points on how to prosper. <laughs> so the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land. Man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens. Here it is again. For I am sorry that I have made them. But, everybody say but. But, Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. 
Okay, it's starting to get encouraging now, huh? How many of you guys want to be Noah right about now? Like, <laughs> I don't want to be the other Noah. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Verse 9, these are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. I could just give you three points right there and we'd be done. Welcome to children's class. You want to find favor? Yeah. Or do you want to die like everybody else? No. Okay. I don't want to die. This is what we teach your children in class. That's why they come home more obedient. Are you with me? What did you do in class? They just taught them a Bible story. Which would tell us that the reason that Noah found favor in the eyes of God is that, that he was a righteous man. He was blameless in his generation. And the way he accomplished that was he walked with God. And Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence, and God saw the earth, and, and beheld, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Not the prophetic word you want to hear. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you are to make it. The length of the ark will be 300 cubits, the, the breadth 50 cubits, and, and, and its height 30 cubits. Basically, it was just a big floating box. Make a roof for, for the ark and finish it to a cubit above and, and set the door of the ark in its side. Make it with a lower, second, and third decks. For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is uh, the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark and keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female. And in case, we don't teach that part to your kids. We'll let you do that part. Why a male, why a female? Of the birds according to their kinds. Of every creeping thing of the ground according to its kind. Two of every sort shall come in to you to keep them alive. Also take with you every sort of food that is eaten and stored up. It shall serve as food for you and for them. Noah did this. Did all that God commanded him. Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. Him. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word today. God, we thank you that your word is living and active. And God, I pray that that active word would just be alive in this place today. That God, we would, we would, we would look at this story, we would learn from the story, and we would be better off because of this story, because it's your word. And so God, challenge us today, teach us today, encourage us today. In Jesus' mighty name, amen, amen. Uh, now, growing up in church uh, all my life, my dad was a pastor. Uh, I was a, a, a pastor's kid. And so I, I think I've heard pretty much every, you know, major Bible story in Sunday school class uh, growing up. 
And, and I loved them. I loved the flannel graph. I ain't going to lie. I, I loved the flannel graph. The flannel graph is cool. I thought about actually bringing one on stage and using it uh, through this series, which I still might do. You know? But it'll be like human size, and I'll pin myself to it. Right? And I just love these stories. But, but here is a story about a, a guy named Noah. And, and when you think about Noah, and we have a picture, you probably see something more like this. If we could pull up the picture. Do we have the picture? It came up during worship. We can have it come up during worship. How many of you guys saw it during worship? It came up during worship. But oh, there it is. Okay. So when, when, we, when, we, when we hear about Noah, we think of something like this, right? We think of, of, of an ark and, 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 and then a beautiful rainbow in the sky. And no, no, the rainbow is not a flag that signifies you're in Hillcrest, okay? The rainbow is, is more, much more than that, okay? And we think of this, and we think of animals and, and, and whatnot. And the thing is, though, is, is, is when the last time you saw uh, a lion and, and, uh, and a zebra just chilling together with smiles on their faces? Are you with me? That, that, that just doesn't happen. And then, you know, I mean, it's just, that's what we think of, though. We think of this happy picture. We think of rainbows in the sky, animals on this boat, and, 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 and everything was just fine. And, and then maybe a bearded dude hanging out the window. Name Noah. Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? Okay? And so that's what we, we think. You can get rid of that picture because it's going to be distracting for them. Okay? And we even, we even sing songs. And God asks Noah to build him a, see, you know it, an archie-archie. I don't even know what an archie-archie is, but, right? And then he, he brought the animals by Tuesday, Tuesday. Yeah, I mean, which really isn't in the English vocabulary. But. And we sing songs about it. And then we give your kids coloring sheets, right? Color this picture, Noah, and the ark, and all the animals, right? And you probably remember that, right? We sing songs about it. We, we get coloring sheets. And, and no, Joan of Arc is not Noah's wife, all right? Okay? Because I know there was somebody out there wondering, is he going to talk about his wife, Joan of Arc? That is not his wife, Okay? And so we hear this story and we think it's this beautiful picture of, of, of animals just hanging out together and, 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 and a family being on a boat and it was just this wonderful thing, okay? If I could somehow put this into context just for a minute, it, it would kind of be like, how many of you guys remember Hurricane Katrina? It would be like your kids showing up to school and we hand them pictures of New Orleans, devastated and we say hey color color that in let's sing a song right i mean if we're really going to get the song right in sunday school it'd be like you know god told noah to build an arky arky why because everyone's gonna die die you know <laughs> but we don't we don't teach your kids that song right this, this, honestly, this, and then we think that they all got on, and, and the water came, and they just chilled, and they had, like, you know, food, and that, you know, when it, all the water recited, you know, they were in the ark, they were in this boat for, like, like, like a year. It's a long time, okay? They were in this boat a long time. And that, that, that somehow when everything stopped, you know, somehow all the cool animals ended up in Australia, and then we got these ones. Right? I mean, kangaroos, come on. Koala bears, hello. 
And we got dogs and cats. <laughs> this, is, this is our picture growing up of Noah and the ark. But if we're really going to put it into context and, and understand the story, here's what we need to understand. This is the most devastating catastrophe ever to hit humanity, ever. This isn't pretty rainbows in the sky. This isn't all the animals smiling as they hang out with each other. This is like destruction. This is God absolutely sad that he made humanity and pushing the reset button. How many of you guys want to go back and hear it the other way in Sunday school, right? This is what's taking place. Wickedness is so great. About 1,600 years now have gone on since the creation. Wickedness is rampant. And God shows up and says, I'm not happy with this. Now I'm going to push the reset button. And it's not really the first time he did it. He did it after Cain killed Abel and they disqualified himself and then he rewrites the, the genealogy of, of Adam and Eve and, and, and it begins again with a guy named Seth. He pushes the reset button. 1,600 years of wickedness, God pushes the button and says, man, I'm gonna, I'm gonna change some things. Now when we read the story of Noah or we go back and we think about the story of Noah, not only do we think about the, the, all of what I just showed you, but, but we, we hear our Sunday school teachers tell us about the story. And, and, and so when we think about the story, uh, we think about how Noah was mocked and made fun of and ridiculed. How many of you guys ever you, you think about that? A couple of you? The rest of you don't know? Okay. But nowhere in the story ever does it mention that Noah was ridiculed and mocked for what he did. I was sharing that with my wife the other day. I was talking to her about the story of Noah, and I was like, you know what's crazy? It's like when I thought about the story of Noah, I was going to share with the people how he was mocked and he was ridiculed, because that's the way I heard it growing up. You know, and people made fun of him and teased him, and like, oh, what are you doing, Noah? You're a dummy, Noah. And I went back, and I started looking for that verse, and it's nowhere in the Bible. It's true. And I shared it with her, and she goes, no, no, wait, it's got to be, wet. What? She's like, I feel ripped off right now. <laughs> because when you're told that story growing up, you know, you're told that, you know, Noah, he was probably made fun of, and, you know. It's, it's a possibility. But it's also a possibility he could have been like a rock star. If we're going to talk about possibilities, right? I mean, come on. The dude jumping off that, that what did he jump out of, that big space shuttle and parachuted from the highest point ever? I mean, who's doing that every day? But this dude is like a rock star. I mean, I guarantee you, if YouTube would have existed back then, he would have, he would have been like the most views on YouTube. Right? He would have been a local celebrity. Have you seen the dude building the big box? And he's, that's crazy. It's possible. It's possible that, that he could have been the cool guy. Oh, yeah, I live. Yeah, I live, I live right next to him. The dude built, yeah, my neighbor. We don't know. It's possible he was made fun of. And we, we tell things like, this is the first time it ever rained, ever. It's possible, but we don't, it just says that I'm going to send a rain. And we talk about how, you know, Noah was like, oh, rain, what's that? It's, it's not the Bible, right? Y'all know what I'm talking Anybody heard the story told that way? Like, you're going to build an ark. <gasps> what's an ark? We, we don't know that that happened. 
I mean, God shows up to Noah and does speak to him and says, hey, I want you to build an ark. And Noah's like, okay, what do you want it to look like? And God tells him, he builds it. Okay? So some of these things are, are possible, but we don't, we don't really, really know that for sure. What we do know is that the ark was pretty much just this big floating box, and this is what I want you to build, and, and you're going to get on it, and when you're on there, you're going to be safe from all the outside elements. Anyone on the ark, they're going to be safe. Anyone outside the ark, yeah, don't want to be there. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the last days. Anyone who is a part of his kingdom, anyone who is a part of Christ, anyone who is grafted in, anyone who is his son or his daughter, those ones, man, you're going to be safe. But get ready, hold on, because destruction's coming, and only those inside are going to be safe. Well, that just doesn't sound like a loving God. What, what does sound loving to you? Someone that allows you to do whatever you want, however you want, whenever you want, to whoever you want? Oh, we don't even raise our children like that, hopefully. Some of you do, but next week I'll be sharing seven points on how to be a more successful parent. Okay. I wouldn't raise my children like that. Why? Because I love them. And when they do something wrong, I discipline them. Okay? Anyone who's in Christ, protected. Anyone who's outside of Christ, just, just get inside Christ. All right. And they're a part of this boat. Now notice that the boat, though, one of the things is, is it doesn't have a rudder. It doesn't have a steering wheel. It doesn't have a sail on top of it. The only thing it's designed to do is float. That's it. Noah, you have no say in the direction. You have no say in the course. Uh, just get inside. I'll take care of the rest. And do you know that the boats in the Old Testament, the arks, or even in the New Testament, the representation is, is the church. He's coming back for his pure, spotless church, his bride. And if you're a part of that, listen to me. If you're a part of the church, I know there's times we want to go this direction, but his spirit's taking it this direction. I know there's times I really want, I really want to do this, and God's saying, that's great, but we're going to do this. And so oftentimes we want to try to steer the direction of his church. But really don't have a rudder. It's just got the Holy Spirit leading, guiding. 1,600 years of wickedness. What did Noah do for a living? We really don't know. 2 Peter 2.5 tells us this, that, that he was a preacher of righteousness we don't really know if he built much before this time, really. But we do know he's a preacher of righteousness. If we go back in, in a couple of the verses, we see this, that God is sorry he made man. And he says this, he says, I'm going to limit their time to 120 years. And if they don't repent within 120 years, then this flood's going to come and everyone's going to be dead. And sometime in that time span, he comes to Noah, and he begins to reveal to Noah the plan that he has. Hey, Noah, you're the only one that, that, that I found favor with uh, because, you know, you're, you're living righteous. You're living blameless because you walk with me. And because you do that, I'm going to let you in on a little something here, and here's what's going to take place. 
We don't know what time in the 120 years. Most people say it took about anywhere from 55 to 100 years to build the ark somewhere, the, the lower number being 55, the, uh, the longer number being 100. But we do know this, that when God showed up to all humanity and said, hey, I'm going to destroy Unless repentance takes place, Noah heard the same thing. So for 120 years, whether he took that whole time and built the ark, we don't know. But for 120 years, he preached righteousness. He was a preacher of righteousness. And if you read the whole story, you go to the next chapter. I mean, here he is. He's a preacher of righteousness, preaching for 120 years, building arcs somewhere between 55 and 100 years. And you read the story on, you know that him, his sons, his daughter-in-laws, and his wife were the only humans that got on the boat. Which tells me this. He was a really good boat builder and a horrible preacher. That dude can build boats for me all day long, but he's never coming and preaching at Canvas. <laughs> 120 years and the only people you can get are your family? It's not a great growth program, you know. But dude, your boat, it, it, it was intense. It lasted. That was a big storm. And it made it. Build me a boat any day. This is what's happening in Noah's life interesting when you look at how he says I want he says this I'm going to bring to you Noah didn't go out and get the animals I know some of you are sitting there like when's he going to get to a point I need a point Bible stories lighten up people but it's interesting when you that that God brings all of the animals to him and says hey I'm going to bring them to you but it's your job to keep them safe some plant some water God brings the increase it's not our job to bring the increase it's just our job to take care of what god brings to us teach that in sunday so that's a good point right there brings them of every species every it's plausible that there were something like 30 don't ask me how but if it says every species and we look at what we have today taking out crossbreeds and all that it's plausible that there were 36,000 animals on the ark. It's insane. Can you imagine the stench? <laughs> now some people believe that, you know, God probably put some sort of like hibernation thing on them. They're, they went into hibernation. We don't know that. I mean, there could have been like lions eating things and stuff, which would make for a cooler movie, right? We don't know. This, this boat was like, if you put 25 basketball courts together, which is how big it was. Pretty, pretty good size, pretty good size boat. Preached righteousness. When I think about Noah and what he did to preach for 120 years and to see no results other than his family, which is great. But we don't even know if they had a choice, really, right? You're going to build this thing. Which they helped him build. For 120 years he preaches, they get on the boat. What would that feel like? What would that feel like? I'll be honest with you, last week, um, man, good service, but I went home and I was like, man, there were a lot of people missing today. I was like, what's up with that? Like, Why? They're probably all going to hell. They weren't at church. Like, just kidding. 
Just kidding. I'm sure you watched the live feed. I mean, it's like, and I was a little discouraged. And I was like, okay, God, let's just begin to focus on next week. What do you want me to preach about? And he's like, I want you to preach about Noah. I'm like, okay. We'll preach about how he was mocked and ridiculed. And, <laughs> and then I looked, it wasn't there. I was like, uh, what, are what are we going to preach about? Uh, here's what I want you to preach about. I want, I want you to preach about godly obedience, which we're going to get to in just a minute. But, but I want you to focus on the fact that, that Noah preached for 120 years and did it faithfully without resisting and had absolutely no results. I'm like, God, are you calling me to that ministry? Because I think you called the church over there to that ministry. I mean. How many of us, we hear what God speaks to us. He shows us, and God's good at this, man. God's good at showing us these awesome pictures that you just fall in love with. And you're like, that's my He's really good at doing that to us, right? And we're like, this is awesome. I'm going to be like, like we're going to have like 4,500,000 people at Canvas Church. I love that vision. And like every day it like multiplies. But how many of us, we get these visions, we hear God speak, and, and day one, day two, day three, day four, day five goes by, and we're not seeing results, and we just kind of like, I'm done. How many people, you're praying for your marriage, and you're like, God, you said my marriage, it was going to be fulfilling. You said it was going to be, and, and I mean, I'm like seven days in, and ain't that fulfilling yet? <laughs> and we give up. We start a new job or a new career, and you're so excited about it, and it's like, ah, we give up. We start a new church. Ah. Whatever it is, God speaks and, and we see this grand vision and we're like so excited about it and then we start working in it and it's like oh, 120 years. Wow. 120 years. That, that encourages me. It does. Encourages me. That godly obedience doesn't just happen if I see results. That's not godly obedience. That's not, that's not really giving. See, a lot, a lot of us as Christians, our definition of giving is actually more uh, investing. But, but God never asks us to invest. He asks us to give. See, we'll, we, we, we say, oh, I'm giving to this person. But you know what? If ch things don't change, I'm going to stop giving to them. I've been giving to the, I've been discipling this person, I've been giving to this person, but I'm not seeing any change, and so you know what, I'm done. I don't see that in the Bible. That's actually investing. Because you're giving to them because you want to see something in return. That's investing. Giving is, I'm going to give because for God so loved the world that he gave, and he didn't just give to those that would say yes to him, he died for everybody, and he loves everybody, and God's willing that none should perish, but all should come to repentance, and so he died for, for everybody with that hope that, come on, somebody, but he just gave. Then he say, for God so loved the world that he invested, 
I'm not getting a good return. Okay. Too many of us have that definition of, of, of giving twisted. And it's investing. See, it's painful when you give. And then those people go talk about you behind your back. So I've heard. I've never had it happen. But I've heard from other pastors that have had that happen. And I'm just like, dude, I'm so sorry. I'm going to use you as an example in my message on Sunday morning. Man, thank so thankful for his godly obedience. So thankful for it. Godly obedience is powerful. Godly obedience isn't contingent on me getting what I need, deserve, or think, whatever. It's not, no, godly obedience is just that. I'm just going to obey. Even if I don't see the results I want to see, I'm just going to obey. Plant a church, okay. They came for a year and they left. Why? I don't know. Just keep planting a church. Just, just keep preaching the gospel. Keep planting a church. What about you? What things are you not seeing that you feel like giving up on, but if you continue with godly obedience, something powerful happens? Godly obedience, for those of you that are twinging, wanting some points. Godly obedience, first, number one, godly obedience will set you apart. Godly obedience will set you apart. We don't know if, if Noah got mocked, ridiculed, made fun of. We don't know if he was a rock star. We don't know. We, we don't know. What we do know is this, is it set him apart. Absolutely, hands down, it set him apart. Not only in the eyes of man, but more importantly, in the eyes of God. Therefore, he and his family were the ones that were saved. Godly obedience will set you apart. It is impossible. Here's the thing. A lot of us, when we get right with God, we, we become a Christian or a Christ follower. We have this thought, like, yes, I want to follow Jesus. I just don't want anybody to know. It's impossible. I want to follow Jesus, but I don't want to stop doing these things. And I maybe don't want to start doing these things. No, following Jesus will set you apart. And, and, and if you grew up in a Christian home, you begin to realize that very quickly. My daughter, Cara, is realizing that right now. I shared with you a couple weeks back that she's not going to be reading a book in her class. That project has now started, and they're in their second week. And yesterday when we picked her up, I asked her, how's that going, Cara? And she was, she was, she was, she was upset. She was like, Dad, I'm just one of my friends. She keeps telling everybody that I'm not doing it. Now everybody's coming to me and saying, well, how come you're not reading that book? And how come you're not reading that book? I said, Cara, what do you tell them? She says, I don't want to talk about it. She's 10. She's learning at an early age. That following God, godly obedience, it sets you apart. It will absolutely set you apart. And it's okay that it sets you apart. It's good that it sets you apart because people need to know what, what following Jesus looks like. And I think that's probably the bigger tragedy is that in church today, people look and they're like, okay, I'm looking for something. Yeah, don't get it. Other than your hour and a half on Sunday morning, really not seeing anything different about your life and mine. You better start tweeting. I was at church today. <laughs> 1,000 Easter weekend, canvas, check in. I went, I went to a Bible school uh, Northwest University, and, uh, and we had the little cards, and we had to card in, because they wanted to know that we attended chapel, because I played on the basketball team, and if you didn't attend 
chapel three days a week. But I learned very quickly where the side door is at. Thus, my ping pong skills are amazing. Because I go play ping pong during chapel. Is that what Sundays are sometimes? But see, true godly obedience, it'll set you apart. You will look different. Life will be different. But you know what? The world needs to see what godliness looks like. Number two, godly obedience will bring salvation to others. Godly obedience will bring salvation to others. And see, we can look and say, well, he preached for 120 years and only his family, well, at least his family got saved. And I don't know about you, but my family's my first priority. Look, I want to see Canvas Church continue to grow, and I want to see us reach more people. I got prayers out there for our Easter egg hunt that, man, people are going to come, and they're going to hear about Jesus, and they're going to hear about a church, and they're going to get plugged in. Yes, that's one of my hopes. But I will not sacrifice my children and their salvation for that. Honestly, I think I'm doing pretty good. If one day I die and my wife and my children are still serving God, come on, somebody. And for some of you men out there, that, that's, that's, that's a really big statement because they live with you. <laughs> and they, that's difficult sometimes. Right? Salvation came to his family, but not only that. And imagine how hard that would be. Because listen, God did not speak to the whole family. God spoke to Noah. And Noah now had to somehow communicate that to his wife, to his kids. And it's one thing to communicate it to your wife and your, your own sons. But it's another thing when your sons then got to take it to their wives. And you know what they're thinking. They're like, I should have listened to my mom and not married into this family. <laughs> my mom was right. This family's jacked up. <laughs> Get on a boat. We're going to die. Help us. Are you with me? I mean, when I went and asked, you know, uh, uh, my wife's uh, dad and mom, to say, hey, can I marry? They had a hard enough time letting go. Can you imagine if I said, by the way, I'm going to live on a boat for a year and you're all going to die? It's a different conversation. But he was able to get them. But that tells me something about Noah. That tells me that not only did God recognize that he was righteous and blameless and walked with God, that tells me that he had some sons saying, you know what, Dad? He's, he's on to something. I just say something to some parents in here today. Church is good. Get your kids to church. But it's how they see you the other six days of the week that really allow them to trust you. There's something about my dad. I, can, I, can, I know it's weird what he's telling us to do, but you know what? I can trust him. He's modeled something for me. And I can follow that. And because of that, seven other people got on the boat. Because godly obedience will bring salvation to others. Not only did it bring salvation to them, but look what it did. It preserved the line. That salvation would come through the man, Jesus Christ. 
Because godly obedience preserved the line that now Jesus could come. The Messiah could come. The Savior of the world could come because of his godly obedience. Your godly obedience may be the only line of salvation for somebody at work. Your godly obedience may be the line of salvation for your family, for your neighborhood. Don't stop preaching. Don't stop declaring. And we see Jesus right here in the text. As it was then, so it will be. Jesus uses it as a last day's analogy. Luke 19, uh, 10, 9 tells us that Jesus is the door. That we gotta walk through Jesus. And it's our godly obedience that creates that door. That's, that's our vision here at, at, at Canvas, to be an access point for people to discover Jesus. Anybody getting anything out of this Bible story today? Last thing, we'll close here. Godly obedience can be uncomfortable. Godly obedience can be uncomfortable. Highlight that one. It's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable. Sure, we can read into what took place before the flood, and we could probably say, I'm sure there were some dudes that made fun of him. That, that's not fun. But more than that, when he stepped out in faith and finished the boat and got on on that last day, and God himself came and shut the door and opened up the heavens and allowed water to come from the earth, when that water started to fill the earth, I don't know about you, but I think one of my prayers would have been that the animals would be so loud that I couldn't hear the cries that were taking place outside because of the death, the destruction. And being on that boat for as long as they were, the discomfort of godly obedience, the pain oftentimes associated. See, we, we tell the story Rainbow, boat, animals. It's a beautiful story. But there's pain in godly obedience. There's some discomfort. You'll never regret it. But sometimes it'll be uncomfortable. Sometimes you'll be uncomfortable. Godly obedience can be painful sometimes. Hey, I want you to do, but what will? Here's one thing I noticed. When God shows up in the Bible and says, hey, I found favor with you. I don't want to find favor with you. I mean, look at Gideon, Judges chapter six. Hey, mighty man of valor. I got, I got something I want you to do. How about Mary in the New Testament? Hey, favored one. And she had to have a little insight at this point because she read some of this stuff. Ah. Right? Why? Because godly obedience is uncomfortable sometimes. Godly, doing what God has asked you to do. Listen to me. 
I, I don't know where we've kind of lied to people and said that, you know, hey, follow Jesus and everything's going to be amazing. It really needs to be, hey, follow Jesus. You'll never regret it, but life's going to suck sometimes. You don't hear that. Follow Jesus and I'll give you seven principles of how to raise godly children. Follow Jesus, I'll give you seven steps of how you can invest money and retire as a billionaire. No, follow Jesus, you'll never regret it, and sometimes you'll be flat out broke. But you can turn to the one who can heal your brokenness. Hey, follow Jesus, you'll never regret it. It'll be, it'll be, it'll be something you won't regret, but um, you know what? A lot of your friends, they're going to talk about you on your back a lot. Because following Jesus can be really uncomfortable sometimes. But following Jesus will bring. Thank you for joining us today. For more information, please visit our website at www.canvaschurchsd.com.